Psalms chapter 137, verses 1 to 4. I'll read it in the King James Version, and then I'll read it in the Amplified Version as well. Psalm 137, verses 1 to 4. By the rivers of Babylon, there we sat down. Yea, we wept when we remembered Zion. We hanged our harps upon the willows in the midst thereof. For there they that carried us away captive required of us a song. And they that wasted us required of us mirth, saying, Sing us one of the songs of Zion. How shall we sing the Lord's song in a strange land? How shall we sing the Lord's song in a strange land? Reading from the Amplified. By the rivers of Babylon, there we, captives, we sat down and wept when we remembered Zion, that city of God imprinted on our hearts, on the willow trees in the midst of Babylon, we hung our harps. For there they who took us captive demanded of us a song with words, and our tormentors who made a mockery of us demanded amusement, saying, sing us one of the songs of Zion. And we replied again, how can we sing the Lord's song in a strange and foreign land? Tonight I want to preach from this title, A Strange Land. Look at your neighbor and say, a strange land. Would you pray with me one more time? Lord Jesus, God, I just pray that for the remainder of this service, God, that your spirit would continue to do the work that you've already started in this room. God, I pray that our hearts and our minds and our spirits would be ready to receive what you have for us in this room tonight. And God, I pray, God, as your servant and as a preacher tonight, God, that it wouldn't just be enticing words of man's wisdom, but God, I pray that your anointing would be in this room, and God, I pray that your perfect will will be accomplished, and I pray it in Jesus' name. Everybody say, in Jesus' name, amen. You may be seated. Now, I can tell you, and it's no surprise or shock to you, but we have been, and we are still currently in a season of being in a strange land. As has already been preached so powerfully from this pulpit many times before, two weeks to flatten the curve has turned into almost 20 months, or 86 weeks, 602 days, 14,448 hours, or 866,880 minutes, or 52,012,800 grueling seconds. The only thing in New Brunswick more complex and confusing to understand than the changing of restrictions and policies is the weather. You can wake up, it could be plus four in November, you could have rain in the afternoon and a blizzard that night with minus 20 degree temperatures by the time you go to bed. And the fluctuation of what we've experienced over the last 20 months kind of seems a little bit similar when you really think about it. It seems to change day to day. We live in a strange land. Somebody say a strange land. But beyond the popular subject of COVID in the news media, there are stranger things that are happening in our world today. Good is being called evil. Evil 
is being called good. Immorality and outright sin have gone from being tolerated in secret to promoted in the highest levels of leadership. Homelessness is becoming a broad issue across North America. Suicide has been skyrocketing for over 20 years, growing nearly year over year over year, affecting families and communities right here in Fredericton and in our area. Anxiety, depression, and mental illness have also taken off over the last 20 months of lockdown. Things like human sex trafficking have gone from something only portrayed and talked about in Hollywood movies to something happening right here in Atlantic Canada. Just a couple weeks ago, CTV News posted a headline, Pair Charged with Human Trafficking After New Brunswick Girl Rescued from a Nova Scotia Hotel. We live in a strange land. That teenager that they, they found, that teenager, she called 911 and requested help as she didn't know where she was and police were dispatched to find her in a hotel parking lot, not knowing how she got there, not knowing who she was with. We live in a strange land. The narrative, and I'm not putting my tinfoil hat on tonight, I must clarify that. You can have whatever opinion you would like, but the narrative of things like election tampering, rigged elections, ballots missing or not being counted at all has become a popular piece of discussion on the right and the left. Multi-billionaire philanthropists are being arrested and imprisoned for things like child prostitution and sex trafficking with high-profile individuals being involved only to mysteriously commit suicide or possibly go missing, and we don't know. Toddlers, yes, toddlers as young as the age of three are being given the reins to decide their gender. Drugs have become more accessible than ever before. It used to be that it was in the dark alleys and the street corners that you had to go to get drugs. But now they've become so accessible that all you have to do is go on your iPhone. Illicit drugs like cocaine, meth, LSD, mushrooms, ecstasy, and fentanyl, easily accessible for anybody that has a smartphone. You can buy illicit drugs in the privacy of your home on your iPhone as easily as you can do your Black Friday shopping on the Amazon app. Technology known as CRISPR that involves genome editing so that you can design your own child in the womb. Yes, that is what our world is doing today. You can pick their hair color, you can pick their eye color, you can pick the perfect uh, complexion that you want them to have. They're calling them designer babies. We live in a strange land. Men literally playing God by designing children. Maybe you've seen that businesses like Facebook have changed their name, Facebook in particular, to the word meta in reference to this metaverse that one day we will supposedly one day operate in. And I can't even, I've tried to read it, I've tried to understand it, and I still can't. But people are buying and selling digital land, digital houses and cars, digital art, yes, a picture on your iPhone could sell for millions of dollars, so maybe now is the time to get in. It's mind-boggling. I can't explain it to you. People are buying NFTs or what they call non-fungible tokens. Essentially, it's the digital rights 
to a piece of art or digital rights to an image that they buy and sell, and some of them are worth hundreds of thousands of dollars. Yes, just a phone or just a picture that you can open up on your phone, camera roll. Cryptocurrency, Bitcoin, Ethereum, they're becoming a very popular method of accepted payment. All this in an attempt to decentralize where our money sits and with what banking institutions have it, taking the power away, for, uh, away from them, all the while making it easier for illegal funds to circulate the, the globe with no paper trail at all. Artificial intelligence is growing at such a rapid rate that they are now teaching computers how to code and design their own software, even just by voice, the same way that you would use Siri or Alexa today. They have programmed computers so that you could say, hey, uh, make me the game Pong. Anybody remember Pong? It's like way before my time. But I understand the concept. It's pretty simple. And they have been able to just vocalize the words, hey, do this, and the computer will be able to do it. You could say, change the color of this or move that a little bit to the right, and it will do it just at the, at the spoken word that they say to that computer. Again, not putting on my tinfoil hat because I don't have any dog in the fight, but the Pentagon released UFO videos. That doesn't mean that they're aliens. It just means that they are not identified or unidentified flying objects. Videos of aircrafts being recorded on infrared cameras by the U.S. government. Wildfires ripping across Australia and California. Earthquakes, torrential downpours leading to flooding in British Columbia like we've seen recently. Global supply chain issues, the ever-given ship getting stuck in the Suez Canal for six days and seven hours literally halted the supply chain of our world. Global semiconductor shortages leading to lack of new car inventory and popular electronic devices that some of you may enjoy, like a PS5 or the latest iPhone. All of these things are happening in our world today. Legal trials. The decisions that are made in them become taboo subjects to address around the dinner table. Gain-of-function research, which is working with diseases to genetically alter them to make them more transmissible, transmissible and infectious, receive a spot in the limelight and in the news. Money laundering through real estate and casinos helping to cause an eruption of real estate pricing here in Canada. Those people that are in positions of leadership among us, whether it be churches or schools or countries, often having to make decisions that regardless of the outcome will deeply offend and grieve the hearts of some group of people. Their decision-making often falls in the lose-lose category because no matter what decision they make, somebody is upset. Even if those decisions were made with the best of intentions, we are living in a strange land. We're living in a strange land. And if some of these things you've never heard of, go and Google it. I'm not, I'm not throwing out conspiracy theories here. I'm talking about things that our media is talking about that are happening globally. We live in a strange land. It's the strangest time, I believe, that has ever existed. The world is in disarray and chaos. Good is now evil, and evil is now good. But it's not just called good. It's promoted. It's celebrated. It's elevated. It's lifted up in everything around us. But to us, as the church, as believers, it's not a surprise, because we know and we understand what Paul said to Timothy. 
2 Timothy chapter 3, verses 1 to 5, reading in the New Living Translation. He said, you should know this, Timothy, that in the last days there will be very difficult times. For people will only love themselves and their money. They will be boastful and proud, scoffing at God, disobedient to their parents and ungrateful. They will consider nothing to be sacred. I'm going to say that one again. They will consider nothing to be sacred. They will be unloving, unforgiving. They will slander others and have no self-control. They will be cruel and hate what is good. They will betray their friends, be reckless, be puffed up with pride, and love pleasure rather than God. They will act religious but they will reject the power that could make them godly. Stay away from people like that. The world that we live in today is full of confusion, evil, and darkness. But can I tell you today that in the midst of that, the church is still the light of the world in spite of what's going on outside the doors? In spite of what's going on in the media, in spite of what's happening across our globe, the church is still the light to the world around us, and the darker it gets, the brighter we shine. And so likewise, as we read in our opening text, Psalm 137, the writer of Psalms 137 paints a picture of their current predicament that they find themselves in. They too, like we are today, We're in a strange land. It was a foreign land to them. It was not a place that they were familiar with. It was a pagan land. It was an uncomfortable place for them to be. It wasn't what they were used to, and it wasn't what they enjoyed. Does it sound familiar tonight? They were in captivity. Everybody say captivity. I want to go back to our opening verses. Verse 1 of Psalm 137, by the rivers of Babylon, there we sat down, yea, we wept when we remembered Zion. We hanged our harps upon the willows in the midst thereof, for there they that carried us away captive required of us a song, and they that wasted us required of us mirth, saying, sing one of the songs of Zion. And again, they replied like I already read, how shall we sing the Lord's song in a strange land? Babylon had just conquered Jerusalem. Their city, their beautiful city, had been destroyed. Their homes were burned to rubble. They destroyed the temple of Solomon, and they cast the throne of David down to the ground. The Babylonians, as cruel as it was, would take newborn babies and throw them against walls, crushing their heads, all to limit the future generations of Israel. They were cruel and ruthless in everything that they did. They had lost everything. They had lost everything. So when we read Psalm chapter 137, we can understand why they were weeping. They were weeping over that destroyed city of Jerusalem and the great temple. They wept over the agony of a forced march from Judea to Babylon. They wept over the cruelty that they were experiencing at the hand of their captors. They wept over the loss of such a pleasant and blessed past. They wept over forced captivity of their present moment. 
They wept over the bleak nature of their future to come. And they wept over their sin that invited such judgment from God himself. But it's really verse 2 where things begin to get a bit confusing to me when I read this story. And it just doesn't really seem to make sense when I read it at first. Because it says, on the willow trees in the midst of Babylon we hung our harps. On the willow trees in the midst of Babylon, we hung our harps. And so as I begin to read through this passage, and as I read this verse, I began to ask myself these questions. We don't know all that they did or did not bring with them, but why did they bring their harps in the first place? I'm going to say that again. We don't know what they did and did not bring, but why did they bring their harps? Why did they still have their harps while being in captivity? It kind of seems like an odd thing to take. Your city has just been destroyed and the temple has fallen and your house has been uh, torn down and your family's leading into captivity. You're like, wait, I just got to grab my harp real quick. Wait, before we go, I think I left it inside. The rubble pile, I'm going to go get it. Why did they still have their harps in captivity? Why did the Babylonians allow them to keep their harps? Well, their harps were an important part of their worship to the Lord God of Israel. They were significant and they held a place of importance. Of all the items and all the articles that they could have taken with them or were allowed to bring with them, some chose to bring their harp. They knew that even in captivity, even in a place that they were not familiar with, that worship was still important. They knew that no matter where they were going, worship was still important. They knew that regardless of the season they found themselves in, worship was still important. Regardless of the landscape, regardless of the world around them, regardless of what had just happened to them, they still wanted to worship the King of Kings and the Lord of Lords, so they brought their harps. Because it doesn't matter what season of life you're in, worship is still important. That's why when we come into a room like this, like tonight, when we begin to sing and when we begin to praise the Lord, that we begin to feel His presence, worship changes the atmosphere that we are in. But we don't find them using their harps. We don't find these people, these captives worshiping because they became so demoralized that when their Babylonian captors demanded a song, sarcastically, of course. They mocked them. They tormented them and said, hey, why don't you sing us one of those songs from your home country? Hey, why don't you sing us one of those songs of that great city that we just tore to the ground? And so when they begin to torment them, when they begin to speak to them mockingly and sarcastically, rather than worship, they decided to hang up their harps. In a season where much had been taken away, they were allowed the privilege of worship. Of all the things that the Babylonians let them take with them, they let them take their harps. They didn't take away their worship physically. 
but they demoralized them to the point that they were so beaten down and trodden over that when their captors requested a song, a song that would remind them of where they just came from, would remind them of everything that they had just lost, they couldn't do it. They began to hang their harps on the willows. Can I say this emphatically tonight? Don't let the world steal your worship. I said, don't let the world steal your worship. We've got this mandate that you're familiar with that there's no congregational singing. And that's okay because I don't need to sing to worship. I don't need to sing to worship. Worship is more than that. And so even when a restriction like that has been put in place, I can still come into the house of the Lord and worship. We might not be able to sing, but they didn't say that you couldn't shout. We might not be able to sing, but they didn't say that you couldn't step out into an aisle. They didn't say that we couldn't run. They didn't say that we couldn't dance. They didn't say that we couldn't pray. All they said is don't sing. Don't let the world steal your worship. Don't hang your harp in the willows. Don't hang your harp in the willows. And so the question is tonight, why is that so important? And I want to explain to you something really quickly called the law of the harvest. You reap what you sow. You reap what you sow. We've been talking about Samson in youth lately over the last few weeks, and Samson is a great example of reaping what you sow. He spent his time fraternizing with the enemy rather than being a judge and a leader in Israel. And that's what he was called to be. But every time that you find him interacting with anybody, it's his enemies. The only time he interacts with his own people is when they're trying to bind him up and send him back to their enemies. He struggled with lust and he had multiple encounters with women. He couldn't control his eyes. And so ironically, eventually, he literally had his eyes plucked out and taken away from him. You reap what you sow. I want to say this to you tonight. What you sow in this season, this season of being in a strange land, will bring forth fruit in the season to come. What you sow in this season, in this strange land, in this strange time, will bring forth fruit in the season to come. We don't know everything that the future holds. We don't know how long this is going to go on for. But if we want to reap a harvest, we can't stop sowing just because we're in a strange land. You got to keep on sowing where you're at tonight. Hallelujah. But it's not just about what song you sing in a strange land. It doesn't stop there. Once the world has tried to take your worship away from you and has beaten you down enough to stop your singing, to stop worshiping, to stop dancing, to stop entering into the presence of the Lord. Once you've been pushed to a place where you hang your harp up and take away your worship, it goes one step further. Daniel chapter 3, verses 1 to 18, New Living Translation. King Nebuchadnezzar, he made a golden statue 90 feet tall and 9 feet wide. 
and he set it up on the plain of Dura in the province of Babylon. Then he sent messengers to the high officers, officials, governors, advisors, treasurers, judges, magistrates, and all the provincial officials to come to the dedication of the statue he had set up. So all these officials came, stood before the statue King Nebuchadnezzar had set up. Then a herald shouted out, people of all races and nations and languages, listen to the king's command. When you hear the sound of the horn, the flute, the zither, the lyre, the harp, the pipes, and other musical instruments, bow to the ground to worship King Nebuchadnezzar's golden statue. Anybody who refuses to will immediately be thrown into a blazing furnace. So at the sound of the musical instruments, all the people whatever their race or nation or language, bowed to the ground and worshipped the golden statue that King Nebuchadnezzar had set up. But some of the astrologers went to the king and informed, and informed on the Jews. They said to King Nebuchadnezzar, long live the king. You have issued a decree requiring all the people to bow down and worship the gold statue when they hear the sound of the horn, the flute, the zither, the lyre, the harps, the pipe and other musical instruments. That decree also states that those who refuse to obey will be thrown into the blazing furnace. But there are some Jews, Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, whom you have put in charge of the province of Babylon. They pay no attention to you, your majesty. They refuse to serve your gods and do not worship the golden statue that you have set up. Then Nebuchadnezzar flew into a rage and ordered that Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego be brought before him. When they were brought in, Nebuchadnezzar said to them, Is it true, Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, that you refuse to serve my gods or to worship the golden statue I have set up? I will give you one more chance to bow down and worship the statue I have made when you hear the sound of the musical instruments. But if you refuse, you will be thrown immediately into the blazing furnace, and then what God will be able to rescue you from my power? Last three verses. Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego replied, O Nebuchadnezzar, we do not need to defend ourselves before you. If we are thrown into the blazing furnace, the God who we serve is able to save us. He will rescue us from your power, your majesty. But even if he doesn't. We want to make it clear to you, your majesty, that we will not serve your gods or worship the golden statue that you have set up. It's not enough that the world would try to take away your worship because the minute that they get a hold of your worship, they'll give you a substitute. Can I tell you that we all worship something? We all worship something. I can tell what you worship by what you spend your time doing. I can tell what you worship by your media choices. I can tell what you worship by what you do with your free time. And so the world will take away your worship. They'll make you hang up your harp willingly only to replace it with a song of their own only to replace it with what they require you to worship. But can I tell somebody tonight that no matter the season you're in, you need to keep on singing in a strange land. You need to keep on worshiping no matter where you are in this place tonight. Whether it be hurt or heartache or confusion, God is still worthy. He's still in control. It doesn't matter where you are. 
It doesn't matter what kind of land we're walking in. It doesn't matter how tumultuous the world gets around us. We still have a reason to worship. We still have a reason to worship. Keep on sowing that seed in the strange land. Keep on casting out the word of God in a strange land because truth is still truth. God is still God, and he is still in control. Would you shout hallelujah? I feel the presence of God in this place tonight. There's something powerful about music. There's something powerful about when you're alone worshiping God. There's something powerful, like I already said, when you come into the house of the Lord and we, be able, we begin to sing, we begin to praise, we begin to lift our hands. There's something that happens in the atmosphere. Can I tell you tonight that some of the most powerful moments that I've ever had with God we're not in Sunday evening services. They didn't happen at youth retreat, youth explosion, youth convention, or youth congress. They weren't at general conference or because of the times. There was no preacher. There was no piano. There was no drums. There was no guitar. There was no bass. There was no singers. It was just me and God and a song in my prayer closet. In the hardest seasons of my life, worship was what pushed me through. It wasn't a message. It wasn't an eloquent sermon. It wasn't a revival weekend. It wasn't because the evangelist laid his hands on me, but it was worship. We cannot afford to lose our worship. We cannot afford to hang our harps in the willows and just let everything go that we believe in. We have a reason to worship. David, before he was king, he would play the harp before King Saul. 1 Samuel chapter 16 records that we can pick it up in verse 23. It says this, and whenever the tormenting spirit from God troubled Saul, David would play the harp. Then Saul would feel better and the tormenting spirit would go away. There's something powerful about worship. There's something powerful about a song. We can come back to the music tonight. I want to close with one final story. In contrast to Psalms chapter 137, where they've been led into captivity, just a quick recap, they were allowed to take their harps. They were still allowed to worship. They were offered the opportunity to sing. Yes, it was in sarcasm and mockery, but they refused to do it anyway. In contrast to that, there's another story in the Bible that I want to go through. Acts chapter 16, verses 16 to 34 in the New Living Translation. It says this. It says, one day as we were going down to the place of prayer, we met a slave girl who had a spirit that enabled her to tell the future. She earned a lot of money 
for her masters by telling fortunes. She followed Paul and the rest of us, shouting, These men are servants of the Most High God, and they have come to tell you how to be saved. This went on day after day, until Paul got so exasperated that he turned and said to the demon within her, I command you, in the name of Jesus Christ, to come out of her. And instantly, it left her. Her masters, hopes of wealth, were now shattered. So they grabbed Paul. They grabbed Silas. And they dragged them before the authorities at the marketplace. The whole city is in an uproar because of these Jews, they shouted to the city officials. They're teaching customs that are illegal for us Romans to practice. A mob quickly formed against Paul and Silas. And the city officials ordered them, stripped and beaten with wooden rods. They were severely beaten and they were thrown into prison. The jailer was ordered to make sure that they didn't escape. So the jailer put them in the inner dungeon and clamped their feet in the stocks. You know how the story goes. And it was around midnight. Paul and Silas were praying and singing hymns to God. And the other prisoners were listening. And suddenly... There was a massive earthquake and the prison was shaken to its foundations. All the doors immediately flew open and the chains of every prisoner fell off. The jailer woke up to see the prison doors wide open. He assumed the prisoners had escaped, so he drew his sword to kill himself, rather wanting to rid himself of his life than face the consequences that he would surely suffer. But Paul shouted to him, stop, don't kill yourself, we are all here. So the jailer, he called for the lights and he ran into the dungeon and fell down trembling before Paul and Silas. Then he brought them out and he asked, sirs, what must I do to be saved? And they replied, believe in the Lord Jesus and you will be saved along with everyone in your household. And they shared the word of the Lord with him and with all who lived in his household. Even at that hour of the night, the jailer cared for them. He washed their wounds. Then he and everyone in his household were immediately baptized. He brought them into his house and set a meal before them. He, he and his entire household rejoiced because they all believed in God. Paul and Silas worship. It didn't just free them, but it freed everybody else around them. Even in a prison, even in a strange land, even in a place that they surely didn't want to be, a place that they were not familiar with, a place where they were in captivity, they didn't lose their worship. In the darkest of situations, in the most troubling of times, they didn't have their harps with them, nor would they have been able to use them based on the fact that they were probably chained up, but they still had a song in their spirit, and they still had their worship. You know, I don't know, I don't know how it all started that night around midnight. It would be cool one day when we get to heaven and ask God, you know, can you show me what happened in that moment? They were surely broken in body. They had just been beaten. They were not broken in spirit. 
I don't even know how long they were in jail for before they began to pray and sing praises. I don't know what song they sang, but I do know this, that their worship brought their deliverance and the deliverance of everybody else around them. If you're anything like me, I picture them singing some sort of upbeat song. You know, you hear preachers preach about it, right? And suddenly an earthquake, right? And there's all this intensity while they're preaching about this moment. I don't know what they sang. I was thinking about getting O'Neill up here to sing, you know, I give you glory. I give you praise. I'm not a singer, by the way. And we're all like, woo! Maybe it was, I thank God. They could hear Josh singing it in their minds, and they begin to tap their foot a little bit. Maybe it was reason to dance. Typically, I associate an upbeat song with this moment. But worship, it's not emotionalism. Worship isn't just this feeling that you get when the music is upbeat and emotions are running at a high and you begin to shed a tear and you want to run the aisle. That can be worship. But that's not all that worship is. I asked them if we could close with this song tonight. I'm going to ask the music team to come out. I feel to sing this song. Not me, but them. You can thank me later. But you say, how does that work? Well, let me tell you this. We all go through trials and struggles and difficult seasons in life. And for all of us, no matter what our our walk is like with God, no matter our background, no matter how long we've been going to church for, the last 20 months has been a challenge. But when you go through a trial and you worship the whole way through, people are going to look at you and say, how did you do it? I thought that somebody in your family just passed away. Yes, that could have happened. I thought that you had somebody in your family struggling with sickness. Yes, I thought there was somebody in your family that turned away from God and they're no longer living for God anymore. Yes, that might be the case. But in spite of all that, I'm going to worship anyway. And when you begin to do that, you become a testimony to everybody else around you that God is still good. God is still faithful. We can't afford to lose our worship tonight. Would you stand with me with lifted hands? I feel the same presence of the Lord that I did before I got up to preach. Would you just lift your hands and would you just lift your voice? And Maybe it's been a while for you since you've worshipped. But I'm telling you right now, the worship that happens in this moment could turn your situation around, a situation in your family around, a situation in your workplace around. Would you worship as we sing this song? Is thy faith.